I was playing and still do play in a punk rock band called the Street Walk and Cheetahs. This L.A. band been making records and touring since the 90s. Uh, at some point, though, as we all grew up and and it's, you know, these days being on indie rock labels, it's harder to get, you know, like budgets to go do world tours and all this kind of stuff. And people have jobs and stuff. Um, so it became harder and harder for the Cheetahs, who were still active in making records, to tour like we used to, where you we'd go and do you know months at a time in Europe or months at a time in the States. And the rock and roll scene these days, especially in the States, it's really, really tough to like go out there and slug it out in clubs, even if you're an established band. It's just it, the money's not what it used to be. So at some point during the pandemic, when like the whole world slowed down, the Cheetahs were on hold. And I was always a guy who was working with other artists. I had been working with that heavy metal guy, Thor for many years and I had sang for James Williamson of the Stooges for a few records and I had done some stuff with Eddie Spaghetti of the Super Suckers yada da 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 um when everything kind of grinded to a halt in the pandemic it got me thinking a what other musicians like me have home studios and might be like around and can go make music and just kind of to keep busy and stuff so I started reaching out to people and one person I I uh reached out to is this guy Corey Clark from the band Warrior Soul who were kind of like a um, metal punk doom band from New York originally, well, Detroit by way of New York. But I knew because I was a fan that they were now based in Europe and that essentially he had like a European based backing band and Corey ran the band out of New York. I mean, uh, uh, Europe. So I don't know why, but just one day I kind of just reached out to their Facebook and it was manager who said, you know, oh, okay, I know who you are. I see your credentials, blah, blah, blah. I was basically just like, hey, I want to get in touch with Corey Clark. Maybe write, write a song, maybe record something. Here's sort of my uh, my cred. And he was like, all right, I'll put you in touch. And he put me in touch with Corey. And um, he was into it, but they weren't, because of the pandemic and they were all spread apart, they weren't making an original record. They were making a covers album. And he was like, well, I don't know if that really interests you. So I was like, sure it does. So he started sending me these covers and I just sang backing vocal, played cowbell, played piano, just threw on anything that the song needed or that they didn't already have covered. And that got me meeting the rest of the guys from his band who, like me, were kind of commandeering like the producing and digital side of it. So I was talking with Corey about the creative, but then he'd be like, oh, talk to my guy, JJ Watt, or talk to Dennis Pope, they're in the band, you'll send them the files, blah, blah, blah. Those guys and I got so much work done during the Warrior Soul thing. Then they were playing in a, a UK band called the City Kids, and I ended up singing on two City Kids records, singing backing vocals and playing keys and stuff. And just kind of getting in with them. And again, it was still during the pandemic. So it's like, what else, what else do we have to do? It seems um, like you just fell into that just by asking, you know, yeah, kinda, just reaching yeah. out. And uh, that's just what happened when you say, hey, I want to work with you. What's good? That's a crazy, yeah. that's a crazy I mean, way to. And if I'd reached out to like Steven Tyler, maybe I wouldn't have gotten a call back. But I was reaching out to people who were like cult heroes, like big, but not like. So big that maybe if I reach not out to so people, terrifyingly huge, yeah, they're not even from this world. Well, or also, you know, a lot of the difference too is that the bigger rock star you get, the more people they have to keep everyone away. So you've got managers and agents. But if you're dealing with someone who's like in punk rock or a cult metal hero, chances are, you know, there's not too many people before you could be talking to that person, especially if you're another a fellow musician or whatever anyway so what happened essentially is me and the guys from city kids warrior soul were making now so much music together that it just seemed natural we should start working on some songs and then eddie van halen died and we were all such eddie van halen freaks i suggested we do a van halen tribute song and donate the money to his favorite charity mr holland's opus so we recorded a cover of in a simple rhyme 
And that just came out so great. Then I volunteered us to be on a few Thor songs and those came out great. And I was like, man, we, we guys should make a record of this stuff. So we started writing original material and it kind of just went in this like sleazy metal kind of vibe. Van Halen, Guns N' Roses, ACDC, Motorhead, that kind of stuff. And um, that's kind of how Trading Aces was born. And uh, soon we made a record and we got signed to Ripple Music and we started doing exactly what I had thought, which was... You know, part of my impetus at that time, not only was did I meet these great guys in Europe, but I also hadn't toured Europe in a while because it's expensive to take five Americans, fly <laughs> them over to Europe. Then you got to get a back line in a van and a driver who knows how to do all the crazy, you know, roads and tolls and driving. And it takes a lot to make all that happen. So I kind of thought one day again during the pandemic, because everyone have, was having to get a little creative. I was like, when all this shit shakes out and I, you know, get back to a normal job or whatever, you know, how, how do I work it in so I can start going to Europe more? And I thought it's just not realistic. I mean, the cheetahs might go over again, but we're not going to be regularly going over. There's just, you know, jobs and careers and too many reasons. I was like, what if I started a band with these guys that I'm, you know, making music with in Europe where they're already there and they already have gear and they already have contacts and they're already in established bands. So part of the impetus in my mind with Trading Aces 2 was like, wouldn't that be a better, easier, cheaper way to be going over to Europe? So since then, I've been going over two, three times a year, and it's amazing. Brilliant. And you're, you've got a tour to Spain coming up. Yeah, I leave. I what leave. I was reading. That's awesome. Yeah, Friday morning, I leave for a two-week tour of Spain with Trading Aces. Then I get back, and then the Cheetahs are going back to Europe for the first time in 20 years. We're going to do a European tour, and we've got a couple new new records coming out. And then um, I'm going to finish up the next Trading Aces record and ideas then to get back into a, you know, an even bigger tour uh, of Europe for the next one. And then maybe at some point we'll come to the States. But I, I want to have the thing kind of established before we come eat shit and lose money in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Europe is fun, man. And Europe's fun. You eat great food. You meet great people. Everyone's really cool. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about these songs? Uh, go into how they're made and what each person contributes. Sure. Uh, essentially, the way we kind of work is that all of us have home studios, and so including the drummer, which is unusual because most drummers are not able to uh, record like that. But he has a bar that he owns, and underneath the bar, there's a basement, and he set up his kit and has a hole like he can record live with mics and with MIDI. And the MIDI thing makes it great because then there's an editing that it needs to be done. Or if I want to improve the sound of the kid or whatever, I've got lots of options because I've got mics and I've got the MIDI stuff. And uh, and so basically what we do is me or Dennis, the other guitar player, uh, he or I generally come up with the original idea of the song. He sends me an instrumental demo or I send him uh, usually a fairly completed demo because um, I write the lyrics too. And so whichever one of us is coming up with a song idea, we send it to the other one. They might also contribute some musical ideas to that. Then when something's happening enough that it, it's ready for lyrics, if I haven't already done that, then I write lyrics over it. At that point, we, we've got a demo version of it where usually if Dennis started the idea, he threw down a drum machine, a bass, a rhythm guitar, and maybe whatever vocal idea. If I did it, the same thing. Once we decide, like, oh, we like this song, this is going to make the record, then we start sending it to the other guys, and we start swapping out parts, meaning everyone plays. So if there's a temporary bass now, BRNA plays the bass. Um, but what we've learned in doing that way is that once we say 
here's the song. It's the, you know, the uh, arrangements done. Everyone knows what the parts are. Some, you know, some of these guitars and vocals might stay, but we're now going to start swapping these temp parts out for the, you know, the real musicians in the band. The first thing we do is go back to the drums. Meaning at that point, when we go, it's an album track, the drummer records to like a bass or a scratch guitar, and then everyone else re-records to the drums. Because even if you had a version where everything was locked in, it was locked in to the click track or to a fake drum, which even if you're still staying on the grid, it's still, everything feels better if you play to the drummer. If the drummer's pushing a little bit, you want the rhythm guitars to be pushing a little bit. If the rhythm guitars are slamming right on the one and the three, because that's, you know, because you were on a click track or whatever, and then your drummer gives it a little Charlie Watts and is like behind the beat uh, or the opposite, then all of a sudden it just doesn't, it, it's not that it wouldn't work, it just doesn't quite groove. And so um, the disadvantage of that process is that you're always on a click. The advantage is that you're always on a click. So everything's very easily edited as you go along or after the fact, I can rearrange songs later. I can do, I, I don't necessarily do that in practice, but like it, it gives you lots of options and posts essentially. So, it, you know, it would be nice to get us all into a room together and go make a record. But the reality is we're four musicians in four different countries over two continents. It's just not realistic. And this way works and the records sound great. And it's rock and roll. Like we know how to make, you know, like I said, the technology it, once, is, has just it's changed crazy. things. Yeah, it, it has. And also, as long as you know, basic things like make sure when you start recording, record to the live drummer one, you know, once you get his track, cause that'll make all the difference between it sounding stiff and it sounding like a band. Hmm. That's great advice. You know, I made a collaborative record uh, with 23 people on it uh, from all over the world. And, you know, it's like hurting cats sometimes, but, mm -hmm. but the, there's the click, you know, so it, it keeps it all in line. Yeah. The only problem that of course, then, you know, is that if you're a band like the stones or, you know, someone or ACDC or you know, someone that really swings that groove or you're a band that likes to jam and go out of uh, the time signature, purposely speed things up purposely. I mean, there's, those are choices that can be made. Sometimes it's just because you have a sloppy drummer, but sometimes it's because your drummer's deciding like, nope, I want to pick up the pace. Emotionally, this feels like the right thing to do in the song. Midnight Rambler by The Stones is a perfect example. It's all over the place tempo-wise because Charlie Watts is taking you on this emotional ride and it gets faster and slower because the song's about a serial killer and that's what the tempo would do. You know, it's like, it can be Frank Zappa all the time, brilliant musicians, but he would choose to switch time signatures, choose to slow things down, choose to speed them up choose to switch to six eight or go into a waltz you know what i mean and you can't do that shit if you're on a click you can't you have to have some some flexibility and the ability to to change things up like that so you know it's a give and take but we're not playing that kind of music that's the thing we're not funkadelic we're not frank zappa we're basically playing acdc kind of motorhead grooves which for the most part are fine right on a click do you play live now in um, oh, yeah. something yeah, I mean, in all of them, I'm leaving Friday morning to go on a two-week tour of Spain with Trading Aces. Um, and so then I'm going back to Europe with the Streetwalking Cheetahs. And I was just doing shows here in L.A. with the Streetwalking Cheetahs up until, you know, the holidays. We took a little time off for the holidays. Um, and then I have this blues band, kind of blues rock band, let's say, in the Stevie Ray Vaughan, Stones, Black Crows kind of vibe. Uh, called Highway 61. That's actually my my high school band, uh, believe it or not, kind of just stuck around all these. That's I mean, pretty not, amazing. We, 
it, we didn't stick around for 35 years. What it is is we were, this was my right. high school band that became my college band that became my like, oh, I'm going to make it, man. It was a Sunset Strip era. We were so convinced we were going to get signed. Never did. But we did get sort of mentored by this great blues guitar player in LA named Alan Miracatani, who was also known as BB Chung King and had a band called the Buddha Heads. And he kind of mentored us and played on a bunch of our demos and stuff. And so a million years later, uh, when the guitar player of Highway 61 was going through a cancer battle, we decided to kind of cheer him up by working on some new material. That became a record. That became him beating cancer. And then the band now plays live. And, and we even got some of um, Alan, B.B. Chung King's um, solos off of our demos and were able to fly them into the new versions on the album. So we actually were able to get Alan Mirakatani on new recordings that no one's ever heard, which which is pretty cool. Oh, See, I, cool. I know that if you get a musician talking, they're just going to have interesting stories. That's why, <laughs> you know, that's the whole point, I think. They just yeah. have some cool stuff to say. I've got names to look up that I'm not aware of now, and it's going to expand my world even further. Yeah, the Highway 61 record is real fun. It's different than what I normally do. It does not. No one gets killed. There's no drug <laughs> references. Uh, there's no cursing. Um, you know, it, the guitar solos are are tasty and sweet instead of blowing your eyeballs out of your sockets. Uh, it's a more subtle, dare I say, mature sound, which is ironic considering it's my high school band. There's two songs on this record that are literally in the first batch of songs I ever wrote. Like I wrote them when I was a teenager. And don't get me wrong, I wrote so many terrible songs when I was a teenager. But these two were probably the, the two good ones. And all these years later, it's on our debut record. I've and got a couple that ended up getting recorded that I held yeah. on to for about you know, 30 yeah, a years. Of them, it just, yeah, a couple of it them just slipped through. Kept coming yeah. back. Just couldn't. Yeah. It's like, it's going to go somewhere and some of them yeah. take 30 years to ruminate in there. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was fun to get back together with those guys and, and do that. But, but we don't really tour in that band. Like we do concerts up and down the coast, but it's another situation. I mean, it's it, where, where guys have jobs and guys have careers and it's tough, you know, for most musicians, unless it is what you do as your full-time job to go on the road is a big commitment. And you're generally taking time off from your job i.e. losing money before you even losing start. money to right. even try to break yeah even. yeah losing money to lose money or to try to break even or you know you're taking up your vacation time to do it in which case maybe your wife and your kids or whomever is like hey kind of thought we were doing stuff you're gonna just get in a van you know what i mean like so it's tough it, at some point i kind of you know i design my life around being an artist and being a creative and i have a balance in what I do with that in that like the way I make more of my money is being a director and an editor and that affords me to be a musician. And so the musician, and then at this point, because I'm a freelance director and editor that makes my schedule a lot more open for like, Hey, I want to go to do this tour, do Europe. I can plan that stuff out and work my life around it instead of kind of being beholden to my my job or a boss saying like nope you can't get that time off you know what i mean so uh, i'm still doing what i always did and that i've been in production and i've been a writer and a director i've directed movies and i editor and all that so that's sort of my day job the difference is up until a few years ago i was always doing that at a bigger corporation i was at nbc for a long time i was at fender for a long time um you know i've done it in these bigger corporate corporations where even though i'm doing a creative or or a you know film tv production type gig 
I'm doing it, um, you know, in this larger ecosystem to which you still really sort of feel like. Well, it's have... you, you can't get away to just be like, I want to go tour for a month. Yeah. They're like, hey, you're going to get fired. You know what I mean? So it's, like, it's more yeah. just like, no, you have you're to... not. And which, you know, when I was a single dad and I'm raising a kid and stuff, like my priorities were like, I need to make sure I got that money coming in and I can't miss a month of that money coming in. So I can't be freelance. I got to be on a gig. I got to have a 401k. I got to have insurance. But at some point, my kid grew up. She's in college. I'm married now. I do a lot better financially now when I when I do the things that I do than I used to. So at some point, I kind of looked at the situation and was like, maybe I don't need, maybe I can just keep doing what I'm doing and not have to go back to a big company to do it and that opened up you know a lot of doors in terms of being able to like do what i do better more frequently like we were talking about for a second like you know at this point i pretty much do three albums a year a movie every two years that i direct i've written eight books they're all published you know what i mean like if you if you if i have the time like I'm a workaholic. I, I, my clip is crazy. I'll keep that volume up high and keep the quality up high. But trying to balance that around a whole other, a you whole know, other day job and raising a difficult. kid and all that. Yeah, that it gets tough, man. So once I freed up or once I changed my work and environment, essentially, uh, you know, I kind of really hit the ground running as an artist more than ever before. Can you talk about your fan base a little bit uh, and about um how this youtube has taken off as far as my youtube channel goes generally i'm kind of putting all of my art up there across you know these different medias between my rock band and my documentary films and of course you know i've directed when i was at in the tv network i directed a lot of very mainstream tv commercials and did a lot of like real mainstream like marketing and movie campaigns and stuff so all that stuff's out there um and essentially it kind of, as far as my audience goes, it's like I have sort of a, I have these different pockets of people that know me from different things, and I don't even know that they put the pieces together. So, for instance, I wrote a very famous Ramones book called On the Road with the Ramones. I wrote it with the band and their tour manager, and it's now in five different languages. It's in, gone through four different pressings. It sold a gargantuan amount of books across the world. I have a ton of people that only know me as the Ramones guy because I get asked to go to Ramones events and sign books. And, you know, it's like me and Monty Melnick, their tour manager, have this long history together. And so to a certain amount of people that know me through whether it's social media or whatever, they know me as Frank Meyer, the Ramones guy. Separate from that. I wrote liner notes for a ton of Iggy Pop and Stooges records. And I also did a ton of interviews with Ron Ashton from the Stooges. I then played with Wayne Kramer from the MC5. So I've got this long kind of Detroit connection to, I'm not from Detroit, but to the Stooges and the MC5, you know, through that. So oh, there you go. And, and, and so there's a whole lot of people that know me as the Stooges historian, because I've done a ton of like research that's then been quoted in books and quoted in articles and stuff. Right. Then there's a whole other part of my world where um, I've done a gargantuan amount of interviews and had a very long and interesting relationship with David Lee Roth and Van Halen. And I was taught guitar by Dweezil Zappa and I grew up in the Frank Zappa studio. So there's a lot of people that like I go, I just before this did a three hour interview for the Van Halen news desk because they wanted to know every single story I had. And that's how long it took to tell those stories. Um, 
which is to say there's a lot of people that know me as this guy that is like through the Zappa, Van Halen, David Lee Roth world. Again, might not even know my bands, the Streetwalking Cheetahs or the Trading Aces or anything, right? So then separate from that, I've got this 30-year career as the singer-guitar player of the Streetwalking Cheetahs and Trading Aces and Highway 61. I did two albums with James Williamson of the Stooges and seven albums with the heavy metal guy Thor. And I've just been making my imprint in rock and roll for a long time. So there's a lot of people that know me from that and have no idea about all the other stuff I just told you. Separate from that, I've written seven other books. So there's the people that know me from whatever those things are. <laughs> and then both of my documentary movies are about hip hop artists. And so I've got this and I have a believe it or not, I used to do a hip hop podcast and I had I did 110 episodes with 110 of the most famous rappers in the world. And so there's a lot of people who know me as a hip hop content maker and director. Now, the reason why I started my website, thefrankmeyer.com, is because it occurred to me that I'm the only one that knows all of this stuff and can put the pieces together. And maybe I should do a better job of connecting the dots between the fact that I'm a filmmaker and an author and a rock and roll musician, but a punk rock musician, but a heavy metal musician and a uh, blues guy and a commercial director and fucking blah, blah, blah. So at this point, what I've been trying to do is a little bit more kind of like connecting the dots of all these things. So my audience is a weird one because it's all over the place from all these different things that I've done, which are kind of all over the place, except to me, they're not really all over the place. It's the same thing I've always done since I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, I used to play guitar. I had a four track and I'd make demos and I had a little Super 8 camera and I'd make movies. So what do I do now? I make music, I make movies. I sit on my computer instead of an eight track. It's the same fucking thing. It's, you know, just different toys. Different toys. I'm smarter and better at it. I'm older, you know, but I still, you know, it's sort of the same overall West to be, you know, to have my life be that of a creative and an artist uh, instead of a slave, you know, slave to the grind or slave to somebody else's creativity and desires and missions in life, you know. I've got my timer going off. I've got eight minutes and 50 seconds on the clock. Um, just real quick note, I'd love to do this again after your tour. Sure, uh, man. Yeah. Do you have a final question, Kelly? Uh, just what's next as far as release wise, if you have anything to announce or, or if anything has been announced. Yeah, this, well, like I was saying before, like, I've been trying to keep up this pretty ridiculous clip of like two, three albums a year. Plus whatever. Um, and I and to answer one of your questions earlier, I also direct a lot of music videos. So I just directed one for the band Gay CDC. I just did four for the band The Dwarves. Um, and I really enjoy doing that because it's like each one's like a little movie, you know, a little low budget movie. So like, oh, let's make a zombie movie. Let's make a 50s movie. You know, those are really fun sort of compliments to what I do and kind of bringing the music and the production stuff together. Uh, so directing a lot of music videos that is on my docket for 2024. There's a Streetwalk and Cheetahs single coming out in Madrid called Crazy Operator. And then there's a Streetwalk and Cheetahs EP coming out in Poland called Call the Dogs. Those are both coming out in the spring to support our European tour. Trading Aces uh, have already begun recording our second record and the idea is to have it out sometime around the summer to then do like a fall European tour to support that. 
uh, that record is turning out ridiculously awesome and heavy and metal. <laughs> like the last one was kind of rock and roll with dashes of metal and punk. This one's just a straight up metal record. Like it sounds like an Armored Saint record meets ACDC or something. The uh, guitar it's really work cool. is, is just great. I went Thanks, through it man. before uh, before I did my show today. It's that, well, right Dennis, up you, my alley. Dennis, whenever you hear something super shredding and blistering, that's Dennis Post. Whenever you hear what's something that sounds more like a Joe Perry solo, that's me. You know what I mean? But like, it's a nice mix because he'll do these ripping Michael Schenker type leads and then you'll hear some like Johnny Thunder stuff and it's like a great mix of guitar styles. Good blend so of Newton, sounds. Yeah. And then my blues band, Highway 61, we're going to, we, we're trying to figure out what to do next. We've got a ton of material written like new material that we demoed um but i'm thinking it might be easier to maybe put out like a series of singles or an ep it's just because it, it just takes a long time to make a good record and um you know i, I want to i don't know i want to focus on if we're going to do something i want to make sure we don't just rush through an album maybe we spend some hyper focused time on like two or three or four really good songs but we'll figure it out mainly at this I point see a lot it's more, just EPs more music now yeah and people like it. And vinyl, people love vinyl. Yep. And vinyl, you know, you can do two, three songs, two, three, four songs on a 10-inch or a 7-inch. It's easier to get out the door, cheaper for the band to go make. And, you know, when you go to a merch table and you see, like, a cool single or even weirder, like a picture disc or a 10-inch, you know what I mean? You don't see those as much. So I feel like that's a cool item to have on your on your merch table, you know? Absolutely. Well... I want to thank you for being here. I've really enjoyed this and I really enjoyed the research and it's just been great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. If you guys want to, you know, hear more or whatever, the folks out there, like I said, thefrankmeyer.com. And that's the same thing for my, all my social medias, Instagram, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. They're all just the Frank Meyer and it's M E Y E R. And I'll tell you something funny about that. Imagine growing up with two, hot dog references in your name frank Furter, <laughs> and then oscar meyer so you know what i mean it was rough it was rough being a kid oh man you got double hot dogs oh dude i got i got double hot dog every day on the schoolyard buddy are you kidding me the, hey man you know you got a hot dog reference in your name yeah that's right no one does yeah. hey man you know you got two hot dog references in your name yeah you know you're about to get two black eyes i want to thank you again for joining us kelly anything to say Nah, man, this is great. Thanks. Great show, Thanks, man. Guys.